This is The Pool. I'm Rain Comey, your host, and this is episode 16. Sixteen, y'all. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back in effect. Welcome. Appreciate you all. One of you wonderful, beautiful, amazing people. All you freaks, breeks, gleeks, greeks, gleeks, peaks, blurs, blurs, and nerds, and other. <laughs> Thank you all for joining me again for another week, another installment of the pool. Um, first and foremost, make sure you check out the Carefree Black Nerd feed. Uh, tons of amazing content down there for you. Um, one of the newest being Black Lightning Matters, a Carefree Black Nerd review show covering CW and DC's Black Lightning. I know I've said time and time again, I'm not a DC guy. I don't like the CW shows. This motherfucker has proved me wrong. I am now on the DC train, bandwagon, and whatever else. Um, first episode was joined by a very, very special guest, Cole Jackson of BYNK Radio fame, Cole Jackson of government name fame. Make sure you go ahead and check out that first issue if you like what you hear. You know, rate, review, like, share, subscribe, review, like, review. <laughs> um, again, that's Black Lightning Matters. Uh, and then we also have, of course, Carefree Black Nerd proper. We have the pool. Um, I'm running a Road to Wakanda, uh, Intro to Wakandan Studies five-part series uh in the carefree black nerd proper uh issue or session one rather uh cover the dorm so go ahead and check that out and be looking forward for session two where we'll be covering killmonger <laughs> so yeah um as always you know uh comment you know talk with me use the hashtags keep that conversation going uh, a little bit of housekeeping, as always, go over to BYNK Radio, check out myself and the wonderful, amazing other podcast, Government Name, uh, Black Married Fly, excuse me, um, The Social Introvert, and then, of course, myself. Go ahead, check us out and shit. Um, also, also a little bit of housekeeping, the pod panel released uh or will be releasing release will be releasing anywho check out the pod panel's most recent episode jackie john and i chopped it up you know had had some uh some thoughts about riverdale uh <laughs> discussed that um what else uh well i'll just say just riverdale for now but it was it was more going on so make sure you check that out and um shit carefreeblacknerd.com as usual as well uh, that's pretty much it for the beginning. I'll take a quick little break and then we'll get back with some headlines, y'all. Yeah, so we're back. And for this episode of The Pool, we're going to make it a little short, um, mainly because I want to get to my little review of a, of, a, of a property that I saw pretty recently. So um, I'll dive into a little bit of headlines, uh, beginning with um, X-Men Blue. 
Now, we know the X-Men Blue are the five displaced original five X-Men that are floating around doing their own goddamn thing and whatever else trying to get back home. But apparently, a new cast of X-Men Blue uh, reveals an escalating Wolverine war between like Marvel books, so a bunch of different Wolverines and a bunch of different titles. And that's all cool, but what I'm more interested in is this new lineup and I love the uniforms. It's just mm, just looks nice. And I know John will like this, that Polaris is front and center. Um, for the cast, we have, um, for as the, the enemies of the villains, we're taking on Emma Frost, Miss Sinister, and Bastion. And I'm interested to see how Bastion works in this group because we haven't seen him in a while. And yeah, he helped out a little bit ago. I forget which book. I want to say it was X. It was X-Men something, and we found out he was only helping. I think it was X-Men Blue, actually, uh, the first couple issues. And he was only helping out because he felt like if he saves the mutant population, then there's more mutants for him to kill. Um, but for the team, we got Polaris, Zorn, Bloodstorm, Jimmy Hudson, Gazing Nightshade, and Dakin. Dakin? Dakin. Dakin. Wolverine's son. Um, the cover art looks amazing, and the... The suits look good too. I like that. The only thing is, why every time a woman character appears, she has to either have a boob window, have unnecessary skin showing, or in the event of Polaris here, she has like the you. Everyone's wearing the same uniform or version of that uniform, but like her little L here, like her pants are cut so low that if she bends over, you seeing all the everything and then her shirt is up just so much that there's a lot of skin showing and i'm just thinking this this doesn't this looks weird um now bloodstorm i'm giving a pass because she's a vampire but she also has like a whole stomach out and i'm thinking like mm, all right whatever y'all so um the cover looks amazing the uh the the suits look good too and i'm thinking that this is just what this is the era of X-Men we're in, in these suits, these interesting uniforms. And I'm, I'm okay with it. They look good. Hell, I like bluish purple and black, whatever. It looks it looks nice. Looks like a little fraternity sorority thing, <laughs> if I do say so myself. Uh, moving on, a couple other things, not too much. Black Lightning was amazing. Everybody loved it. Keep watching it, supporting it. Uh, of course, uh, Brie Larson has been flying, has been seen flying as uh, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel. So that's good to know that we have steals coming out. We have, you know, the movie set production is good. Like everything seems to be going according to plan. And although I'm not the biggest Captain Marvel fan, I'm excited that this is even in existence. So good deal. Good deal. Um, the Dark Tower TV series could actually begin filming this summer, which is like, uh, again, Dark Tower is something I'm not 100% familiar with, but I've seen a lot of conversation online, and I'm always one for comic book properties, uh, manga, um, graphic novels, anything being put on screen, because that's more jobs, and preferably more jobs of people of color, because, of course, that's rooting for everyone black uh <laughs> now um what else moving quite right along uh black lightning's gamby teases his mysterious past as you know the big reveal and i'm thinking i know good and damn what this may be a spoiler maybe not but looking over the history of black lightning is the big reveal going to be that gamby is the one who killed black lightning's father like because that came out in the book but 
I, I don't know. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But I think that might be the reveal. Uh, <laughs> if so, it's not a great one. I mean, it, it is because, you know, a lot of people don't know the whole history of uh, Black Lightning. But all in all, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and All New Wolverine. All New Wolverine heads to the future with, of course, Old Woman Logan. Lauren. Laura. <laughs> I said Logan. Laura. And, um... You know, I, at first glance, I was like, uh, oh, what's that? Then I was like, you know what? We have old man Logan, old man Hawkeye, old man Deadpool. We have all these old men. Give me this old woman. Who else better but Laura to be the old woman, quote unquote, in that um category? So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, this, hmm, I think it launches in April with All New Wolverine number 32 or 33. And uh, Tom Taylor... And artist uh, Raymond Ron- Ros- Rosanas, yeah, um, heads to the near future where instead of the post-apocalyptic future of Old Man Logan, and we find this utopian world that enjoys peace won by superheroes. Um, in this world, Laura Kinney, a.k.a. Wolverine, his clone daughter, um, retired her costume and now she's serving as a benevolent, benevolent, benevolent queen of Madripoor. All of that in itself is enough to make you be like, okay, Okay, I can I can see this. So as much as I um like X twenty three and Wolverine, Lady Wolverine, whatever you want to call her, I kind of fell off from collecting her books a while back, like in the earlier issues of her run. But this, I'm interested to see how this fares. What happens with um old woman uh, Laura? I'm 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 interested. Um, with that being said, we're going to get into, I guess, what I've been watching. Hell, I saw Proud Mary, and may I say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, if you did not, that's all fine and good, but I love that this, hmm, all in all, was a good movie. Uh, did not end in a way where I feel like there would have been a sequel, and that's okay. We don't need sequels and trilogies for everything, but I really enjoyed seeing Taraji in this role. I there were parts that I didn't like that uh, went to her acting like spoiler in three two one after there was a hit made she whenever was um it was brought up she acted in a way and I don't know if this was intentional like if they said okay do this or if this is the choice she made but she acted in a way where if this was real I feel like people would know that she was guilty like girl what the fuck wrong with you why are you looking like this why are you making these faces whenever we bring up you know uncle was murdered it is it was weird um but i i enjoyed it that is what took me out of the film everything else i thought was was good even if you didn't like the film if you thought it was a it it wasn't a good film you can't ignore the fact that this boston crime family full of white black people in this traditionally white um area space um and even like this war that they're going into these black people were kicking ass and they had strife within their family which i feel like is real you'll always have you know relatives that although they are related and they've grown up together they just can't stop bickering or can't stop fighting this was a really good movie uh homeboy who played the little kid he was good uh annoying when he needed to be um I'm gonna say thug. That's not the right word, but very um powerful, very deliberate in his role. I really enjoyed it, and I implore anyone out there go and see Proud Mary. It was really good. Um, there were times where it gave me 
um, Agents of Shield, or like it gave me a Netflix series hallway fight scene. But all in all, I enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again uh, in any way or another. <laughs> so if you've seen Proud Mary, hit me up. Let me know. Um, leave a comment on SoundCloud. Hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. Uh, let me know. Did you like the movie? Did you hate the movie? Do you want to talk about it a little bit more? Come on to my show. Let's talk, y'all. Let's chop it up. Um. Yeah, and if you hated it, that's fine too. But, you know, let, hit me up. Let me know why. Like, what didn't you like about it? Because I'm sure there's some things that I'm kind of overlooking. Not intentionally, but because I really did enjoy the movie. Um, And then if you loved it and you're singing its praises, join in with me. I, you know, let's sing them together. Good job, Taraji. I really enjoyed seeing her on screen. And I saw her on some interview. I, forgive me, I can't remember where. But she mentioned how she... um someone in a role like this, a black woman as a lead, not a minor character or a sidekick hasn't been around since like, uh, Pam Greer. And it may have been one or two between them, but odds are she was a hundred percent correct. And you haven't seen a black woman in a leading role in a movie like that or a property like that in a very long time. So kudos to you, Taraji, like a big shout out to you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I don't know what else have I been watching. Black Lightning, of course. <laughs> That's what I've been watching. And mm, I don't know. I guess we're going to take a break because I can't really remember what else I've been watching. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break and then be back with the pool. Um, welcome back to the pool. Uh, getting right back into the pool, we got um, had a pretty hefty pool this weekend, or last week rather, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm going to start off with X-Men Gold. Now, as I said before, Astonishing X-Men is my go-to X-Men book at this point, but X-Men Gold, I'm kind of torn. I feel as if it is doing something, one, I think it's better than X-Men Blue so far. Um... And they're kind of giving us those old school X-Men stories. Right now, we're currently in the negative zone war where there is a um, alien who helped attacking the school earlier in the run who um, escaped and was kind of laying and waiting. He's from a whole nother universe and he brings his um, sends a tracker beam and brings his his generals and army and shit here to Earth. They pick him up. The X-Men get swept up in there. They go over to his war to his world where they're in the middle of a war um they end up defeating a god in the last issue and being flung into some other planet in the negative zone and it's interesting and i like that you know we take an x-men away from the um new york fighting and all that good shit now they're out in space as they've been back in the past i think claremont did a lot of that and it is an, a, an interesting story. It's kind of quiet in the sense that they are um, stuck on this planet, which is like nothing but sand, like a sandstorm or whatever. And it's the um, fallout or um, it is them trying to pull themselves together so that they can go back home. And Storm is 
kind of now everyone is focused on, but she's kind of the main character in this story, and she you know has an issue with her powers, unable to use them. Then this this tattooed nigga, I don't know who the hell this is. What's his name? Uh, let me see. No one says his name. I don't know. I think Ink Ink. I think that's his name, and he's a guy with tattoos all over him and all that good shit. Now, um. You know, eventually Storm comes around with a few unkind words from uh, old man Logan and she uses her power to charge this machine and everyone is, you know, sent back home, you know, and it it, it was cold, but I kind of kind of felt like, oh, that's it. Like, that's all it took to get back. Home. It didn't. It feels like if it was played out on screen, it would be more cinematic and it would be more interesting. But this was just like, oh, man, that's all y'all got for me. Um, there is this running story through this run where Kitty, excuse me, Kitty Pride and, uh, Colossus Pichoa Rasputin, <laughs> excuse my, uh, horrible Russian accent, but they are kind of finding themselves back to one another. And I think that's the thing that X-Men are kind of built on is that angst, that drama, that romance, that, uh, uh, horrible, poor decisions underlying, uh, kind of storylines that weave in and out of like the big events and stuff and as much as i i don't want to not like this story but i'm not a hundred percent into it but i am into it if that makes sense and spoiler warning there will be spoilers um uh oh uh, taking a couple steps back the x-men gold uh issue 20 uh, Negative Zone War Part 5. The writer is Mark Gu- Guggenheim. Penciler Diego Bernardo, Bernard, excuse me, inker JP Mayer. Colorist Frank Martin. Letterer VCs Corey Petit. And the cover artist Ken Leslie and Frederick Blee. Now, um, the art is pretty cool. Um, I'm very much in the Chris Pachalo camp. So, <laughs> uh, Team Pachalo to, uh, to the end. And But this is really good. I do a really good job at getting the point across. The body language is good. The colors are fine. And the fact that they're in this sandstorm, it is very much a good team book. It, it just, I think it'll read better in trade with the entire Negative Zone War, which I'm sure that they write books for trade. And they'll probably have this in a trade of its own, like the Negative Zone War. And it seems kind of lackluster reading it issue by issue. Uh, one of the issues I had from issue tw- 18 to 19, I believe, is where Kitty was chained up along with Nightcrawler. Then Nightcrawler bounced away and had his own little thing. And he's apparently immortal and not welcome in heaven, so he didn't die. Whatever. But Kitty had a collar on that suppressed her powers. And this was in issue 18. Now, I opened up issue 19 where they fighting the God and all this other shit. And that collar is nowhere to be found. There's no explanation or nothing. And I was just like, oh, that's kind of garbage. Because now once this is collected in trade and you're reading through it, I was thrown off because I had read 18, then 19. Um, normally, you know, I just pick up a book and read it. And then certain books I'll kind of hoard them for a couple uh, issues and then read them together with a trade you are literally reading the whole story in its entirely so that's really going to be jarring because they made it a point to let you know that she could not use her powers because of this collar so i flip from one page she's wearing it and fighting in distress to the next page and it's nowhere to be found and there's no ex- that's an issue um and i don't think that i think that part will pull you out of this op- mm. 
I think that that part <laughs> will pull you out of the story once it's collected in trade. Uh, there is a big announcement at the end of the book. And like I said, there are spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, I'd say skip ahead about 30 seconds or so. We get to the point where Kitty confesses to Colossus, you know, that when, I, when we were on that planet, I couldn't leave you. You know, even if I wanted to, I'm, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, at living but it ends with her saying will you marry me and it's i don't know if this will be built up to be like the wedding of scott and gene um if so i don't think it's going to land well because i don't feel like this run has really given me a lot of i'm not invested in their relationship it's interesting to see because i do know these characters i'm familiar with them but oh 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 no um all in all x-men go Issue 20 was a really good story. Um, good beginning, middle, end. Good way to kind of wrap up the negative zone war. I just feel like with it being the negative zone war, it should have been more epic at the end. And it just was not. But, you know. Um, now, moving right along to Terry Moore's Stranger in Paradise 25, Issue 1. Uh, I believe this is 25 years after the original run, Strangers in Paradise. Uh, Terry Moore has done amazing things. I'm collecting Motor Girl, but that's another one of those uh, stories where I have collected it and have it dived into. But I'm I Strangers in Paradise, I have an interesting relationship with this story and with these characters because back in the day, back in the wizard magazine days when i was just a wee little wakandan picking up books <laughs> strangers in paradise was one of those books for me and it was very much an adult book and even taking out the violence and the sex of it all it was just it just it was it was a very mature book and i would read an issue here or there i didn't collect it consistently like i did generation x and other x titles and fathom and all that good stuff but strangers in paradise always felt elevated to me in a in a way that is hmm um like i was watching a movie an 80s movie you know as a kid you know if if that makes sense or not like <laughs> i'll try to break it down strangers in paradise was in comparison to the other books i was reading the fantastical magical spy fighting superhero it was very quiet and it was very heavy and it was very mature and it had stakes that were emotional that even me as a kid, I understood that there were things going on here that although I may not understand those things, they are very important and very heavy. Um, now, I do have the entirety of Terry Moore's original Strangers in Paradise run, but I have it collected between like um, an omnibus here, a few trades there, a few of those like little um, almost, uh, what do you call anime? manga like manga style uh books and so i think i may be missing like a gap of probably like five issues or something and i haven't sat down to read them yet because i feel like when i do i want to just take my time once my library is up and i can just sit back relax kick my feet up have a nice drink have some dim lights and some good music playing and just dive into terry moore's strangers in paradise another thing i like to get is echo and rachel rising terry moore just has a way of storytelling even Aside from his words, his just the the artwork, like huh, I, good, good deal. <laughs> now getting into the actual book, um, Terry Moore, Strangers in Paradise 25 for the 25th year. Um, issue number one is through Abstract Studio. And 
it's just it just takes me back. Now, if you're out there and you don't like Terry Moore, you don't think this is good, you're entitled to your opinion. Your opinion can be wrong, but you're entitled to it. But this is a very nostalgic comic for me, and I'm in this space where it is nostalgic because it harkens back to my childhood, but I can read all of his work and it'll be brand new to me versus like say an X-Men book where I may have read the story, like uh, the Dark Phoenix Saga. I know the Dark Phoenix Saga. I've read it. I read it as a kid. I read it as an adult. I read it, you know, as a little awkward fucking teenager. But with Terry Moore's Strangers in Paradise, I'm familiar with his artwork. I know his pictures. I know his characters by sight. But their stories, I just know the surface that Kachoo and um, what's homegirl name? Uh, they say it here too, anyways, that they were, you know, lovers, uh, Kachu and Francine. That being said, that may not even be the entire story. So I'm excited to dive into it. So any of you out there who are familiar with Terry Moore and Strangers in Paradise or any of his other books, be it Echo, Rachel Rising, Motor Girl, hit me up and let me know what you think. Let's have a little bit of conversation. You know, possibly have you on the show and let's let's chop it up a little bit. So um getting into the book now the first couple pages or panels are silent you know and he does a lot with body language and with art uh there's a guy who gets his phone stolen by some kids a series of different kids and they throw the cell phone down at uh, a blonde who's um you know just walking she takes the the microchip the memory card of the phone which is odd because the phone looks like it's an iphone but she takes the memory card out she looks up at him throws the phone on the ground and walks off um fast forward we get a chick laying on her back doing some yoga exercise shit with a bluetooth in her ear which this i don't know what year this exists in i don't know if this is 2017 18 i don't know if this is like early 2000s I, i i don't know and because this is a continuation of the first series. So where where does this fall? How much time has passed? Again, anyone out there who is familiar, let me know. Uh, Carefree Blurred, uh, use the hashtag CBN pod or use the hashtag the pool CBN. Just hit me up. Let's let's discuss it. So um, so she's on the phone with the guy who got his phone stolen. They're talking about it. And she's like, you know, what the person looked like. And he's giving a description. And then she gets kind of. I don't know, agitated with him eventually. She's like, well, was she 6'2 or was she 5'2? And she, like, you can tell how angry she is. And he's like, God damn it, don't snap at me, bitch. No, <laughs> he's like, I don't know. Um, and she's like, it's very important. She's 6'2 or 5'2. And that apparently is important to the point where he says, you know, 5'2. And then we get some more silent panels where she is like, all right, something's going on in her head. The wheels are turning. She takes her computer. She walks to the closet, the big-ass walk-in closet, kicks in a, a wall, pulls out a bag of uh, what we later find out is a bag of money, puts her uh, snow coat on, snow coat, her coat on, <laughs> walks out in the snow, and leaves. Um, I don't want to spoil too much of the story just you know, for anyone out there who, um, who are Terry Moore Strangers and Paradise fans, but this is good. This is really good. This is a good first issue, and I say it's good because I have this limited knowledge and although it's nostalgic for me, taking all that aside, they present you with just enough for it to be interesting, but not so much that you know what's going on. You kind of have an idea, but now it's like, okay, even if you aren't diehard fans of this book, once you read the first issue, it's like, okay, you know, I could, I think you'd be interested in the second issue to see where they're going with this and how long does it take to tell a story. And because this is kind of creator owned, he doesn't have to work in the six issue trade uh, format of 
of writing books. So um, kudos to Terry Moore on that. And um, so I won't spoil that. Moving along to the final, and what is probably my most favorite pick is Generation X Survival of the Fittest. This is Generation X 86, going back to the legacy numbering. And I'm not sure, I think this may be, I think issue 11 in the second volume run that we're on. And let me say, I have not been a fan of Generation X, and that is not a secret. Um... Now this issue, Generation X, is the writer is Christian, Christina Strain, artist uh, mm, Elma Carpina, colorist Felipe Sobrero, 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 I think that's it, letterer VCs Clayton, Cows, Clayton Cows, and the cover artist Terry Dotson and Rachel Dotson. Um, first things first, I do like that Terry Dotson and Rachel Dotson have been doing the covers for this book because they were the last um, artist and colorer who um who was on the original generation x run they ended the run i believe and um and so like i said before when i was a kid i didn't really like the artwork now as an adult i'm like it works i you know i like it it's either growing on me or i just really like it and this is cool this is cool now diving into the book the art took a while to to grow on me the um art on the inside and Christina has found a way to make me care about Quentin Choir, which I'm mad as hell at her for that, but good writing. Now, all through this run, I started off slow. I was really out of it because I felt like this is Generation X. What makes them work is that they are not part of the X-Men, like the new mutants were. Generation X has been a secluded campus on its own, doing its own thing. It was an extension. It was the sister school of the Xavier School. That's what worked. I did not like, still don't like, the fact that Generation X existed on the same exact campus as the X-Men. Therein lies an issue. You are not special. Now, the original Generation X run, they were secluded. They were on their own. They had their headmasters. They had their adventures. And that's what made it interesting and good and fun. These, however, are if you're in a school with the X-Men, there's no threat. No matter how powerful you are, you have the X-Men down the hall. There is no um, no fear. We don't have time to or space to, to bounce our uh, personalities off of each other, to be exposed to different things and to grow as a cast because we have the X-Men right down the street. It makes no sense that Omega Red would burst into the classroom, try to kill us, and we have to fight him off on our own. That's that's I don't like that. So this story finally kind of gets its footing towards the end of this arc of M being possessed by her brother and like attacking the school, which I already have issues with, but it's, it began to work. Now taking a couple steps back, what I do like is the relationship between Nathaniel and Benjamin. Now, Benjamin is a, I don't know what they called him. I know he's a shapeshifter, but there's a particular word for it because what he can do is if he's near someone, he'll start to take on their uh, characteristics, their physical properties, and it kind of puts the person at ease. So if he's, say, next to Beyonce, talking to her, during the course of their conversation, he would slowly start to become her physically. Like maybe the hair will grow out some, and then maybe his face will slim in a little, and then his color would darken, and his eyes would change, and, you know, his body type, and he'd become an actual mirror image of her. That's an interesting power set because it's not just a hardcore. I can morph into whoever like Mystique or like Morph. So um, him and Nathaniel, Nathaniel is 
rogue in all intents and purposes. And that's what I like because they have this relationship that's not a relationship where Benjamin likes Nathaniel, Nathaniel likes him, but he doesn't want to get close. They had this whole angsty, like kind of breakup, breakout type of thing when we were never really together. That gave me that angsty love triangle, love um, uh, teenage tension that is infused in mostly all X books. That was done really well. And then having the threat of all these these fights you had to go on, going to have to search after your your classmate and fight off some folks at a black market sale. Like it was really it was really good. Now what happened is there was um in the end of the last issue, Monet, Monet St. Croix, uh M uh aka M plate as she is now, found a way to separate the physical plane, the real life plane of existence and pull the school into her kind of dark dimension, I'll say, so that she could feed on the kids because she has to feed on the moral of the mutants in order to stay alive. Now, Jubilee was off going after Quentin, so she's, you know, doing her own thing. And what we have, who we have left is Nature Girl. We have, um, let me go back and see. Nature Girl, we have Benjamin Deeds, we have Nathaniel Carver, we have iBoy, and Shogo, Shogo being Jubilee's baby. Now, all this happens, um, and on campus, we also have Jonathan Starsmore, a.k.a. Chamber, and we have Paige Gunthry, a.k.a. Husk. Now, we open up on the kids in the classroom trying to calm down the baby, and it's very much a horror vibe, and I like that. Then we get Jonathan talking to the kids, like, you know, on my account, I want y'all to run. And like, all right, we run. He hits Monet with this big ass fire burst. It was interesting. What I love the most about this issue was seeing the old school generation Xers fighting, using their powers, you know, uh, talking shit to each other. That's what I enjoyed. Even though the art wasn't my forte, it still was a really good book. Now, what happens is during this fight, Monet. Apparently, she's absorbed the powers of all of these different mutants, so now she can use those very same powers. She lets out some type of explosion, whatever, and so the ceiling is falling down, and this is getting back to that relationship. Now, Benjamin, the kind of shapeshifter, jumps in the way of this like debris to protect Nathan. Now, this is a small scene. It happens over the course of two panels, but it's Christina gets across this in her and Pina 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 P-I-N-N-A get across this um this kind of meet cute where it's like oh you did that for me and it doesn't feel corny and cheesy it just feels like a natural progression of these characters although I really don't care for Benjamin but I see the story coming alive and what I like is that they kind of are the gambit rogue Mm, not in personality, but just in their um, issues with touch and with having a relationship and not having a relationship. And there is a thing that happens where we, Nathaniel's like, okay, why did you do that? He was like, why do you think I did that? Because before Nathaniel, you know, told, um, told homeboy, he was like, well, you know, I like you, but you know, I can't get close to you. If I touch you, I'm going to take all your memories and, and feelings and all this other shit. And once I do that, although you won't be knocked out, like with rogue, what will happen is I'll start to, this have negative feelings towards you based off of something that you can't control, which I think is a very interesting um, concept to place on these characters. Cause it's one thing to be like, Oh, I can't touch you cause you'll die, but I can't touch you because I'll absorb your essence 
and I won't be able to look at you the same way. Although we both will be fine. Neither of us will be hurt. I won't be able to look at you the same way with the same lens because I'll know the inner recesses of your mind. I'll know you better than you know yourself. That's that's pretty deep. Um, and that being said, he does a thing that I'm sure Rogue and Gambit and Rogue and whoever else have probably done this in comics. I just can't pinpoint the time in which she has. And she hasn't doesn't done it consistently enough where it would stand out to me as, oh, she's done that before. So if you know a point in which this has happened, let me know. Carefree Blurred or Carefree Black Nerd on every other social media platform. Nathaniel takes Benjamin's shirt collar, pulls it up over his head. Or no, it's up to his nose and he kisses him. And it is written in a way where it's like, okay, this, 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 this book was really getting his footing with both the action and superpowerness of it all. And with the teenage angst and with the loving love, hate, oh, should we, will they, won't they type of relationships that you get from these teen books. And I just, oh, I'm so devastated that it has ended now. And say what you want, call me a hypocrite or whatever, but although I did have my issues with this story, I kept getting my books consistently. I made sure that I was getting my Generation X fix because although I wasn't 100% in it or happy with it, I felt like things have to get better. Or at the very least, I have to support because this is, this is my team, Generation X. Um, moving past that little, you know, emotional arc or whatever. And then, ugh, other thing, going back, Nathaniel is clearly Asian. This is an Asian man. Like, dude, you don't get too many of them. Like, we have this him, Nature Girl, Jubilee. We have three pr prominent Asians in this book, starring, albeit co-starring, in this book. Like, come on. You, you can't come on. So um, moving on to the fight, we get Paige and we get M and we get Chamber. And what Nathaniel does is he uses his powers. He um, attacks Monet. She touches him. He she's siphoning his aura, his energy and shit. And, you know, he's getting down for the count, but then he kind of reverses it. And I don't know if he intentionally did this or if that's just a side effect of his powers. But everything that she, he was pulling from her or that she was pulling from him was kind of reversed. And so it knocked her the fuck out. That being said, now we're about to get into spoiler territory. I'm skipping over a few things, but the thing that had me at the very end, where I was like, oh no, Christina is doing her damn thing. Jubilee shows up, her and Quentin Choir. And kind of side note, Quentin Choir, Benjamin Dees, and Nathaniel Carver, their little relationship, this little like love triangle, but not because Quentin isn't attracted to them, kind of platonic, but not platonic. It's just such a such a gray, crazy area, but it's very enjoyable to watch. He's this overconfident, you know, crass-ass rich boy, but he has this, I don't know, it's just, like I said, she did, she made me care for Quentin, and I will never forgive Christina Strain for that. Um, getting back to the fight, Jubilee, who's a vampire, she wears an amulet. I don't know what it's called, but it keeps, it allows her to walk around in the sun. And I knew this kind of in the back of my head, but now she's fighting, and we get to this point where she's like, you know, Monet, how about we uh, keep the kids out of this and settle this fight between old ladies like us, you know, vampire to vampire. And I like the way that M is uh, just grotesquely, uh, she just looks like a goddamn monster. She's like, oh, I forgot that you are a vampire. Uses her powers to pull the amulet off of Jubilee's neck. Throws Jubilee through a window into the bright daylight. As she does that, Jubilee is 
instantly set on fire. Like she is, it looks painful. Like the artist did the damn job. Like all of this looks so, it looks frightening. Now, this is why I say, I wish this book would continue because Quentin Choir goes into full Phoenix force because he has the Phoenix shard still in him from, you know, way back when, when him, I think it was him, Emma Frost, um, Cyclops, Magneto, or somebody else who was like imbued with the, with the Phoenix force, um, way back when. So he releases the entirety of the Phoenix against Implate, the big bad. I didn't understand what was going on because I'm not a Quentin fan, so I don't follow him. But now I see that he released, literally released his Phoenix powers that were within him and cured Jubilee. So not only did we do this dramatic ass gesture that had so much weight to it, but we also reversed or got rid of in a very believable way, a horrible part of Jubilee's character, which is her being a vampire. He cured her completely. And so now she's setting off fireworks and shit. And she's like, holy shit. Like I'm human again. And that is why I love this fucking book. And I wish, I wish it would continue. So, um, it's speculated that generation X will end at issue number 87, which will be next month, AKA February. And, uh, cause there's no more solicits past March. So, um, and I believe I spoke to Christina strain on Twitter. Uh, well, I, chimed in on one of her um one of the twitter comments or or threads or whatnot and someone was like oh it's so bad that this is ending and blah blah whatever and i wish it was more of this than the third and she was like well you know uh don't count us out yet we still have you know a couple more issues to flesh out this story that being said that's why i was like oh shit this is ending (sighs) sad to say but um Thanks, though, you know, for all you out there who've been collecting it, you know, too little, too late. Yeah, but got a really good story. And I'm interested to see where she goes from there. And it'd be even better if they would take every single character in Generation X and just move them over to another title. That would be amazing. Like how I think New Mutants became um, X-Force or X-Factor or whatever back in the 80s. Do that. Just give them another title. Don't call it Generation X. You know, call it, you know, X generation <laughs> or something. Um, so yeah, so that's that. This has been the pool. Thank you all for listening, chiming in. Actually, use the hashtag CBN pod, use the hashtag the pool CBN when you're listening to this episode and when you're, uh, you know, do the little live tweeting and stuff. Um, email me carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com if you have to. And uh, let me know what's going on. If you didn't like the books I read, if you did like the books I read, if you feel like I should be reading something else, if you don't like whatever, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, Carefree Blurred. Um, Instagram, as always, get the little pictures and comments and all that good shit at Carefree Black Nerd. And as always, um, BYNKRadio.com is where Carefree Black Nerd is now housed, as well as CarefreeBlackNerd.com. And again, thank you all for listening in. Make sure to tune in next time. Same nerd time, same nerd station. Tonight, Fox presents a world premiere motion picture from the creators of a hit comic book series, The X-Men Comes Generation X. They've got the power. They've got the technology. There's a new generation of superheroes. And they're coming. To save the world. You can't win. 
Rock's Tuesday night movie.